Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt, and my name is Matt. And I'm Matt too. And uh, speaking of two today, Matt, we're going to be in part two of our uh, review of the framework for returning to classroom instruction for Maine. Our last pod, we went over, we spent like 45 to 50 minutes or whatever it was talking about parts one and two, physical health and safety, and then social, emotional, behavioral, behavioral and mental health. Um, so we have three parts to go over today. So buckle up, folks. So we're doing parts three, four, and five for this part two. Yes, for part two, we're doing parts three, four, and five. Uh, that's a better order that, that way. Uh, today, we're going to talk about academic programs and student learning considerations. We're going to talk about a common foundation for remote learning. And right. then we're going to talk about uh, other. Other. <laughs> Additional <laughs> considerations. Uh, leftovers, in other words. Else. <laughs> Okay, so today, uh, oh, let's and you start. folks. Uh, <laughs> oh, everything else we didn't quite fit in here. Part five. Uh, yeah. So part three, we're going to talk about academic programs and student learning, and we have a bunch of letters to talk about. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. Yeah. So if you remember back, just very quickly, we'll do a quick recap. Parts one and two, like I said, we really liked how it laid out in that for that particular structure of starting off with the health and safety when we're coming back after this COVID-19 or during this COVID-19 pandemic, um, starting off with the physical health and safety is a must. Knowing that we've been out for six months or so, by the time that we come back in September, the social, emotional, mental, behavioral health, it needs to be paramount and needs to be right at the front. The academics will come, we'll get to the academic part, but recognizing that schools are a culture, and schools are a place of social, emotional well-being for students, is really a, an important part. And that's where I think a great focus is, but we do have to get to the academics at some point. So how do we get to there? And one of the things that is crucially important, and we've talked about on this podcast before, is these summer months, mm -hmm. these months between June and September of changing the educational paradigm in our schools. What we did before was not remote learning. We call it, it remote learning, but it really wasn't. It was, we were here on a Thursday and we're not coming back. So we're going to just try to figure out whatever it is we can do. Well, now we have time to plan. We don't know what it's going to be, but we have time to plan. And that's where part, the, the part A of part three of part two of our pod comes in, which is engaging staff and PD over the summer in preparation for remote in-person and blended. And I like how they specifically lay out all three of those options, remote learning, in-person learning, and blended learning models. I think there's going to be, th this, these months are gonna be, as you said, the most crucial uh, because I would say odds are that we are not gonna be fully back in school, uh, with full in-person learning starting in the, in the fall. Even, and even if we do, there'll be times where we'll have to go back out as the pandemic uh, continues. So these months are crucial to do these things because I think parents and our communities are not going to stand for, well, we, we didn't really plan for this. So we're just going to take a few weeks and try to figure it out like we did at the beginning back in March. And I think that was appropriate and necessary, but then we had to figure out something else to do. And now we have time to figure other things out. So it's PD time for the summer. Yeah, we do have time. We don't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not a ton of it, but we do have time. And 
uh, as, a, as a good friend and uh, author and main educator, Dan Ryder says in his book, Intention, Critical Creativity in the Classroom, creativity craves constraints. So we have the constraint of time now, but we do have some time that we can use to create something. And that bullet three of part A of part three of part two pod says to encourage visionary risk takers to create non-traditional models and plans. This is a time for innovation and big thinking. This is not a time to just say, well, we used to have a AB or a blue red or a purple green schedule every other day. We're just gonna apply that to remote learning and call it good. We need to think bigger than that, think different than that. I think that is probably the most important bullet in this entire thing is that it is okay to do things differently and whatever ways that districts wanna come up with doing something, uh, try it. It, yep. it takes a big thinkers and innovating thinkers, uh, non-traditional models, all the keywords are there to say, do what you need to do to reach these kids. It doesn't have to look the same. It doesn't have to look the same. This is, this is a unique opportunity that we may never ever get again as a school system. We've been saying this for years that one of the challenges of a school system and school systems change is that we never stop. We end in June, we start, we start in September, no matter what, it always happens. And so everything just keeps going and change has to be incremental and change doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to take too, it takes too long. Now is a time that we can say, no, it's time we can actually make the changes that we've wanted to make for years actually happen. We can actually do some of this stuff because we have the opportunity to actually do it. If we have the courage to stand up and do it. I think there's one unspoken piece in this part uh, that is going to be crucial for districts to be able to do this. And how much is this going to cost? Yep. Because I do need to pay my teachers. Right. I, de- I do need to get them in to do stuff. Uh, I know some districts have rearranged a couple of their workshop days, so they'll be able to do some different things over the summer, but that's only like a day or two. Um, yeah. I, the responses that I've heard from this is, well, you know, schools can use the CARES Act money that they got. Uh, they can yeah, but the CARES Act money is going to be going... CARES Act money, a lot of that's going to be going to like PPE and yep. other supplies and... Uh, transportation and devices and you know that the so all of that stuff that like social emotional learning and health and safety stuff that comes first that's going to eat up a lot Agreed. of that cares cares act funds i know some districts have used things like uh you know because social uh summer school couldn't actually happen in mm-hmm. person summer school couldn't happen so schools who are getting title funds for summer schools for example might be using some of those funds to create uh, professional learning opportunities over the course of the summer mm-hmm. um and that's a fantastic way because you could then say, well, maybe we can actually, we can make it optional. We can make it not required. Um, we cannot mandate it, but we can also pay like time and a half. We can pay overtime pay because we have mm-hmm. the money now to afford to do that. Um, and here are your options. We're going to lay it out for you. You just show, show us you've done the learning and we'll pay you for X amount of hours, let's say. But mm-hmm. some districts are doing that thing where they say, nope, well, we'll reschedule a lot of our PD to front load it at the beginning of the year and see you in, the, see you in late August. Mm-hmm. I think that's a dangerous path to take. Agreed. Agreed. I, I've asked around a little bit about where some money is coming from, and, and a lot of people have said the same things you just did. But when I ask about where the state money might be, 
uh, it's all seems to be a little hush hush right now. So I, my, mm-hmm. my guess would be since the DOE has kind of done everything else well in the last year and a half, that they are desperately trying to find ways to help districts to be able to pay their teachers to plan for this. Um, because as we talked about last week, uh, they're pretty much saying between the lines here that you got to be prepared for alternate ways of schooling. It's not going to be the way it was without coming yeah. out and directly saying it. Oh, I don't even think it's, I, don't, I think they are almost directly saying it. I think they're saying, you know, to engage in these things over the summer for these three particular areas, this is what you have to do. Yep. These are our recommendations, our guidelines that, that we're saying. And if you don't follow them, well, that's on you. Now, districts, yep. uh, districts can say things like, yeah, well, we're going we're gonna to try to pay for it. We're going to try to do these because we want to honor our teachers. We want to honor their time. We know that summertime is not just off time for teachers. They're de- dealing with other second jobs. They have families. They have <gasps> tremendous amount of busy lives during the summer. Mm-hmm. It's not just off time. So right. this would, would be additional time on top of their already busy, packed, planned schedule, summer schedule. But they can do is say, well, no, it's just, it's just up to you. They could do that. I think that's asking for trouble. I think so, too. Uh, let's talk about some of the other letters in this one that really more talk about considerations. I told you folks to buckle up because we only got through part A of part three of this. <laughs> Get a long way to go. It's been like, it's been like what, 15 minutes already? Pretty much. Uh, the next one talks about part B, uh, letter B talks about consider flexible grouping, multi-age classrooms, looping, interdisciplinary courses and units. And then it goes to, down to some hub, subheads. And one of the key ones I think here is emphasizing project-based interdisciplinary learning activities, which can yeah. provide both organic formative assessment opportunities, high engagement, and efficient delivery of many skills and concepts. I like the way that's put together. I do too. And to be honest too, the the DOE is actually walking the talk here Mm -hmm. because what they're doing is they've also convened about 400 or more educators from across the state to create these innovative pods or models of project-based interdisciplinary um, units, pre-K to 12, all content areas, they're integrated. They have to have more than one uh, content area involved with them. There should be an overriding question. They're using the understanding by design framework to build them. There have to be projects involved. Um, I'm on this group and one of the teams that I'm working out with, um, we're using a both a, a understanding by design and a design thinking model and framework to, to build the unit, to make it a very um, integrated and also product oriented and human-centered um, project that any student can, can do and adjust in their own way. It's a really excellent process and they're, they're expected to have these modules, these units ready to go by September 1st or 2nd. And that's just an amazing feat to have over the summer. This is where part of the state money is going to. They're paying the teachers and whatnot to go and do this kind of work over the summer to build these things so that when staff come back in the fall, they're looking for things to do remote learning. They want to do it differently, but they don't necessarily know how. They don't know what to do here. Here's some downloadable, accessible things that you can bring right to your classroom right now, starting at all content areas, connecting the guiding principles, et cetera. 
one of the other keys in this particular part talks about keeping equity at the forefront of decision-making, especially around grouping. When we talk about uh, what, how kids are going to be grouped next year, it doesn't necessarily have to be like the old classroom where you're assigned to a one particular teacher. If we're really talking about meeting each kid's needs, we need to think about how we group kids a little bit better and consider their needs first before our needs. And I, so I like that it was put directly into this letter. That doesn't sound right. I, I don't really think that students should be at the center of learning. Do you really believe that? That's really, that's a, that's a good point. Well, you know, what, what are we here for anyway? We're just, just here for us. Supposed, right. That's just what they're supposed to do. So it's really not about them. They should, they're just going through the motions that, you know, we're the ones who are the centers of schools built around us. I, I have met people like that. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't really talk to them, but uh, yes, I've met people like that. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of smile, nod and move on with your day. <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, it's good, good seeing you. Bye-bye. No, but, but keeping I... equity at the forefront is, is, and it keeps coming back to that throughout this entire plan is making sure you're staying, understanding the human side of it, making sure that you're understanding where the people are, making sure that you are keeping focused of the difference in the varying access points, the various accessibility, accessibility, mm -hmm. the various um, needs of all of our learners. Keep that at the forefront when you're making decisions about your grouping. Don't just say, okay, A to J goes here and K to Z goes here. Right, because that, that's easier for us to do, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily easier for the kids that way. Right. So... Uh, a lot of the other bullets just talk about the same type of thing. Uh, needs assessments for kids regarding access, uh, abilities and needs to access remote learning. All the same things you just talked about makes perfect sense. Uh, some kids are just going to be able to do distance learning, remote learning, emergency learning, whatever it may be. Uh, they're going to have different abilities to do that. And we just need to take those into effect. Uh, the next letter talks about formative assessment. And one is interesting, and I wanted to get your point on this one. It's part B of part C of part three. <laughs> I can do it too. So it talks about consider offering projects Who's and assignments prior to the start of the school year that include embedded assessments to provide baseline data for groupings and accelerated learning plans. Yep. Um, how, yeah, how, what? <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly where I was going. So clearly somebody has gotten into this document a little bit that we need to test more kids to figure out how to group them. And yeah. my, my biggest rant about this one, I guess, is if we can't figure out where our kids are on a day-to-day -day basis, without using some type of test in order to get the most updated information, then do we really know the kids that we have in our school districts or not? I would say right. we don't. Our teachers know where, where our kids are. They knew where they were at the end of March when we went out. They kind of know now, even though we haven't talked to them for a bit, teachers still know. Teachers know where all of their kids are at all times. Yeah. Try and, and, and trying to get them to do stuff before the school year to figure out where they are. We'll have, we'll have some information on them. And what is the message we'd be sending there academically? 
what would we be saying to those kids and those parents is that, oh, no, here's, a, here's something to consider, but it's mandatory because we need to get it back so that we can get the data of what you need, where you are, and so that we can uh, group you appropriately. But the, the teachers should be having this conversation, and should have been having this conversation and with administrators. Everyone should be having this conversation uh, back in early June, not in August. Right. I think on this one, this sounds to me, this sounds like an administrator line because who makes the groups, right? Who makes the schedules? It's usually administrators, yeah. not teachers. So all we this have to just do not, just not is involve them. It's not realistic at all, but I hear this more than I'd like to talk about uh, that we're just well, going to, think... the first thing we're going to do is test the kids. Yeah. No. It, run, it runs counter to the next bomb, next bullet, part three, which is saying, Use formal assessments sparingly and efficiently to reduce stress. So then what's the point of offering the projects and assignments prior to the start of the school year? Mm -hmm. You know who's going to do those, their right? learning. You know who's going to do those projects and assessments prior to the school year? Who? The, Who uh, the super high achievers and, <gasps> the, and the ones who have full support at home and the ones who have helicopter parents that make them do everything anyway. So you're saying that there might be a like a socioeconomic or achievement gap or divide. It might, that might happen there. So that might go that might go against number four and part B of part three here, which is to keep equity at the forefront of decision making around grouping. Yep. Some of these bullets I am not a fan of. I I, I like I do appreciate what they're trying to do there. Yep. To say things Absolutely. like Use qualitative assessments, use empathy interviews, use different ways of getting the information from about, about how to what your learners are going to need. I, I, I like that message. I'm not sure I like how it's worded and how they're putting it out there. I think this, it might be in response to some of the, some of the things that I have been reading for, how was it, three or four months now about how students will need to catch up if they want oh. to, uh, you know, get back on track and that sort of thing. And my response is, we didn't well, A, it's, it's where they are. Yeah, I don't think we track either. But, you know, yeah. grade levels and that sort of thing, I think that throws it all out right now that grade level expectations for kids aren't going to be the same as they used to be because right. everybody in the country has had about three months off of school where they were doing remote learning everybody's in the same place. Who are you catching up to? This is, again, a golden opportunity to talk about meeting kids where they are and moving them forward, which is part of the end of uh, part C of part C of part three, talks about holding high expectations and offer scaffolded opportunities for all students to reach and exceed uh, goals. I skipped the grade level part there because let's just make some goals hold the expectations and move on from there. So you're, so what I'm hearing you say is this is an opportunity for us, like that visionary thinking, or as they say that, yeah, visionary risk takers, innovation and big thinking. This is an opportunity to maybe eliminate things like grade levels mm -hmm. and just possibly think about where kids are and moving them along when they move along and pushing them and understanding what a trajectory is and understanding your end point where you need, where you kind of want them to be, or, or we want them to be at the end of this high school year, whatnot, and pushing them along, not just letting them just coast, whatever they, wherever they are, mm -hmm. continue to push them forward, but an opportunity to also say, 
Does it need to be based on a grade level, which is really only based on an age? To me, I think one of the things that will help with that, Matt, is to not talk about that at first and just talk about how we're going to meet those kids' needs. And I think over time, if they're doing it well, if we're doing it well as schools and school districts, Mm -hmm. then I think those questions will come up organically. I don't think we have to force it through like we did with, uh, you know, some of the proficiency-based education and instruction way back when that one of the goals we always heard of was to eliminate grade levels and that'll make everything better. Uh, People were missing quite a few details there. But I yeah, think people just had a lot of PTSD, by the way, what you just threw it through. Oh, I know. I, I dropped stuff. that bomb just randomly you know. with a soft voice. I kind of passed out uh, for a second there. <laughs> I think it's a way to really emphasize what we meant by that all those years ago, because now we have kids that are all over the place. They have not been in person school at all since March, and they won't be anything like that again in the fall. Right. So uh, for those of you longtime listeners of this pod, you know that we started this pod because of the proficiency-based learning law that went through. And um, Matt, I got to ask you a question. Is there a part of you, because there's a part of me that really wants, I think I may have said this before, that really wants to be like, yeah, remember that whole thing about proficiency-based learning? Uh, We told you so. I have, I actually, since this whole pandemic thing came up, I had this tattoo down on my arm says, I told you so. Yeah. You know, it's one of those like, yeah, we've been saying that this is, yeah, this is why, and it proves the mm-hmm. point that all kids need like individualization and personalization and that, that school should be not based on an industrialized model, but it should be based on kid needs and yeah. I am waiting for I the feel fall. Def- I feel so defeated. I'm waiting for the that fall still. when some of this comes up and we have some of the uh, representatives or senators start talking about the way school is going to be now when the education committee comes back. I'm very oh, interested yeah. in some of the viewpoints. Me too. I, I just, I, wanna, I, wanna, I, I can't wait. It's going to be fascinating to listen to. <laughs> it is. Like, well, we want to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're meeting all kids needs, every single individual kids needs. And do we really need to be worried about them in grade level expectations? And yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be, that'll be fun. It, uh, yeah, it's fun, fun. Yes, I may actually be listening to some of those, even though it may be early morning for me out here. Right, get your popcorn uh, ready, folks. <laughs> uh, so we have one more part. It's part D of part three, uh, and talks specifically about students with disabilities, students who are English learners and other special populations. And they talk about access a lot, right. and cognitive needs, and making a plan, uh, trying to figure out how remote learning works for kids that have other difficulties other than uh, just logging on. Right. Uh, they do talk about learning loss a bit. And again, I, I don't like those words because they didn't lose anything. It's just, it's where they are. I hate learning loss. I hate that. I'm just putting yeah, that right I out don't. there. Learning loss, kids don't lose learning. If they lose learning, they never had it in the first place. It's where <laughs> they are. That's a mic drop moment. I would just, just end the podcast oh my right God. there. <laughs> it's just, it kills you know? me. It kills me. That's just where they are. So it goes they through a, really lot of, it. a lot of great things about considering what assessments may be used, identifying the structures to review the progress data. Uh, it's very, it's very good. 
basically don't forget about these kids that have other difficulties other than remote learning by itself. They have other difficulties also. So don't forget about them. Uh, and let's figure out what we can do again for every kid, not just don't for forget the ones about who do it. Yeah. Don't forget about them and actually intentionally plan for them and plan with them and yep. make sure that they are an integral part, not just saying we're going to do this for our, our schooling. Oh, and then we'll figure out a way to, to do the special education or the English learners population or whatever special populations are. No, no, we do it with everyone in mind. And so we build units, we build projects, we build ideas with everyone's accessibility in mind, not just as a, oh yeah, we'll, 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 we'll pull you, we'll figure out something for you, which is very, you know, kind of dismissive. Let's move on to the next part, which is part four, a common foundation from remote learning. And A, this is my favorite, let's see, one, two sentences in this whole piece. Because thing, well, I, I've already said I've had lots of favorites in this whole thing. This, this is a really yeah. cool one because they kind of sneak something in right at the end here. So I'm going to read about it. Oh, it's good. So Quote, the department recognizes that public education offered solely through remote learning cannot fully replicate the rich experiences, social contexts, and educational value that students receive through in-person settings. Therefore, we encourage SAUs to use fully remote learning only when necessary to protect health and safety, as in widespread community transmission of coronavirus <coughs> or, or during a snowstorm. And then it goes me. on. Well, or during a snowstorm. Wait, no more snow days? What? Yeah. That, it's they, just thrown that. in there. I love it. Yeah. I'm surprised it's not in smaller font, just so it's like a little, yeah. Oh, by the way, I, no more snow days. I, I think that they're what they're trying to do there is just, just be real. Yeah. Because they know that this is changing the changing all of snow days. It had already been in the news that, it, you know, Camden had started this thing last year or two years ago, whatever it was, and they had started going down this road and DOE and the legislature were like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll inch along with you. We'll see. We're not quite sure about this whole remote learning thing because, you know, hey, it's different. Something new. Can't go too fast here. <laughs> then all of a sudden, boom, we're out on a Thursday and we're, and we're all doing remote learning. So now, they're all, now everyone's like, oh, Yeah. We can yeah. do snow days, I guess. I guess so. And I guess it's I guess it's it really isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Because exactly. if we're already redesigning how we do attendance and access and all that other stuff, well why couldn't they do it during snow days? And I, I gotta be honest, I'm don't know how much of a fan I am about the snow day thing. Because I kinda want my kids to have snow days. To grow up with snow days that they wake up and they're like Oh, I don't have school today. And that feeling of just being able to go out and play in the snow all day. My kids don't do that. They just want to sit on their devices all friggin' day. But getting them outside is a pain. Once they get them, get them out the door, they love it. But I kind of want them to have that and not feel the over umbrella-y feel of, well, yeah, you're home, but it's still kind of schooly. You know what I mean? I think, I think what you're saying here is that you have Northeast Coast biased. Oh, 100%. Because down down here where I live now, um, well, you, well, San Diego gets snow, right? They uh, well, as I was telling Matt before this pod started, I've been here a month and it rained for the second time, 
overnight. When well, and rain it's only rain twice here. Rain here in San Diego is more like a uh, a sprinkle, and not a deluge, which I think is what you're experiencing right this minute. Yes, as we're recording this, it's during like some massive thunderstorms and torrential downpours. It uh, it stopped raining around seven o'clock in the morning here, and now at twelve forty two, it is uh, all dried up. So. Yeah, snow days I'm, aren't, I'm aren't a it, thing. I'm surprised it didn't just go from liquid straight to gas. And, you know, it's coming down as, as rain, and then it just goes right back. It doesn't even hit the ground. I think... Because it's so dry in that, that air. actually happens enough. So it's probably rained every day, because I do see, I do see a cloud once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that's what it was. It was rain... But it just disappeared before it came down to where I could see it. That's my guess. So, so anyway, yes, I do have. I definitely have a northeast <laughs> bias. I definitely do, because and, and I get that other parts of the, of the country don't have snow days, and snow is more of a of a nuisance, and it's not part of the ingrained culture here. And I get that that makes me sound like traditionalist and old fuddy duddy kind of thing. But there is a part of me, if I, I'd be lying if I wasn't, that says I kind of want them to be able to have that experience. I agree. That's, that said, though, I do like the idea of getting out early in June rather than going until June 25th. Well, then you'd have longer summers in order for you to, for parents to spend time with their kids. Yeah. So yeah. And, there is a, there's always, always that, and, too. And I don't know if you know this, Matt, but in Maine this year, this summer, people have been buying more pools than ever before. It's like the pool, pool, pool sales are through the roof. I know this because we're looking at putting in a pool ourselves. Uh, it's one of those inflatable ones you get at Target. It's like six by eight kind of thing. You can step into it. That's the kind of pool we're getting. Nice. Um, we have a puddle outside, which, which we could take, could use right now. But That's the usual way that I have experienced pools, yes. Yeah. You know, but people have put, like, pool places are, like, pushed out. They have, they have no bit. They're, 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 they're booked out. So it's like, well, because oh, if we were able to get out a little earlier in June every year, I get a little more use out of that pool more often. That, that's not a bad thing, even though it's, it's even though it snowed on May 18th this year. I was going to say, do you really want to get in the pool when it's 57 degrees and sunny on June 20th? You know what? Yeah, hell yeah. Because <laughs> frig <Fair>. winter. <laughs> I said that, that and point, I moved to California. By that point, I've had enough. I don't care. It's water. I'm getting into it. <laughs> Wait, what were we talking about? Even, I don't know. Learning plan? Oh, okay. yeah. Let's go back to that. So they have uh, 13 considerations, uh, components, excuse me, for a remote learning plan. But I do want to actually uh, call back to what we talked about uh, either last pod or a couple of pods ago, is that last sentence before I derailed us uh, with snowstorm talk. It talks about a process for continually, continually evaluating public health environmental factors and school capacity for mitigating risk should be in place in order to ensure a transition to in-person instruction as soon as it is safe and practicable to do so. Mm -hmm. So as we mentioned before, uh, the executive order is still in place that schools are not open. Right. And the default right now is remote learning. Yeah, so they're saying here, hey, we, we think that there's nothing that beats in-person learning. Absolutely. get Only do remote learning when necessary. And um, 
will tell you when to go back. You know, yep. A process to a process to evaluate this should, uh, mitigating risk should be in place in order to do to transition to in-person instruction as soon as it is safe, and whether that means full in-person, like I just heard recently that I think the state of Connecticut they want to go back fully in-person in the fall. Great. I hope you can do it safely, practically yep. or practicably. Um, but most of it's going to be some kind of a blended version where, you know, kids are going on alternate days. You can only bring in 50% of your student population at a particular time because of not only just space issues in the building, but transportation issues, et cetera. So. So some of the, some of the pieces of the plan, I don't know if we want to get through everything here, because some of it I think is, uh, impossible to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was, as I was just scrolling a little bit, uh, a plan to certify student attendance each day and a plan to address lack of attendance slash engagement. This, my God, we're not going to have student this is, this attendance is a every discussion single day. That I know a lot. No, we're just not. No, we're not. And, and, and especially if we're fully remote, if we're fully remote, we're not. Yeah. So this is, this is where attendance needs to shift the mindset. Yep. It doesn't need to be, you know, butts in seats. It doesn't have to be you, you show up at a Zoom meeting, and if you miss that Zoom meeting, you're absent for the day. That's not how it's going to work. Right. There's got to be opportunities or ways of accessing the information or connecting with the teacher, connecting with the school. Be like, no, this, here's what I've done. Here's what I'm doing. Here's how I have been working on it. If I can't do it synchronously, I'm going to do it asynchronously, and here's how. Attendance needs to look that way, not just you show up and then you sit in a Zoom meeting and not pay attention. You play fishdom for the next hour and a half. Not speaking <laughs> from experience not at, at all. all. Not at all. Uh, number two on here uh, kind of goes with that, but I am sure this is going to be interpreted uh, incorrectly in many schools. Uh, it says a daily schedule to include age-appropriate engagement expectations for students, yep. live daily contact between teachers and students and or caregiver, direct instruction, independent student work, opportunity for questions and feedback during teacher office hours. I, I think it is unrealistic and not right to expect teachers to be on Zoom for eight and a half hours every single day with their kids Uh I, I just don't think you, you can't, you can't do that. I, a, I don't think students can do that. I, I, I don't think they can do it either. I, one of the things that's going to happen is, you know, the, the teachers will be doing remote learning and maybe what they do is they wind up doing their normal lessons in a sync, in a synchronous fashion every single day, whether in person or not. And it, let's say for full remote, maybe the expectation for the district is, nope, you're going to do your normal classes. We're going to stream them live. Kids can participate either live or we'll record them and put them out um, to the Google Classroom or your PowerSchool Unified Classroom or wherever you're going to be going putting them. And so then the students can access them later. So I, I like the fact that, they're, that that might be an expectation. That's totally fine. But the expectation that you're going to have every, every student connect every, with every teacher daily, especially as you get into the middle and high school levels when they start to you know, to get to split out by content. I, I don't see that happening because right. families, the family dynamic is going to be, continue to be completely individualized yep. as we get through, you know, kids are going to be doing childcare as parents have to go back to work. Right. 
I think that those kind of those are some of the things that uh, in part parts one, two, and three that really have to be thought of and remembered when developing these things. I agree. Uh, there are so many moving parts. Uh, we've talked about before. It's it's not impossible. It's just difficult. But we'll I figure think, it out. Yeah, in part that that number two there. There are five bullets basically. Yep. And the final three: direct instruction, synchronous, asynchronously independent work, an opportunity for questions and feedback during teacher office hours, all of those things are 100% manageable and accessible and able to be done mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. It's the first two. It's the daily schedule to include age-appropriate engagement expectations and live daily contact. Those are the things that are going to have more of the challenges, I think, because once you get into a daily schedule, once you try to get in a remote environment, a cookie-cutter approach that's going to be problematic at, for the homes. Yeah. Agreed. That's really now. If it says something like, "All right, so you can connect asynchronously, and we want your third grader to connect, you know, or to be engaged in this content thirty minutes a day." Great. That's mm -hmm. a great schedule. You could families can adjust it. Teachers can then say, "I will be on live in this particular format, whether Facebook or Seesaw or whatever it is. I'll be live over here, putting in content forward, and here you go." You can access it that way. If you can't get it at that time, come get it. Check in with me that, you, that you've done it. Perfect. That's a great schedule. I worry when it gets to, all right, we're going to do literacy at 8 o'clock. We're going to do math at 9.30. Yep. We're going to do PE at 11. Then you'll have a 30-minute lunch break. You know? Not exactly uh, visionary in that particular point. That's just redoing school. That's just redoing school at home. Yep. That's, and that's we, not how it's going to work. And that's not how it's going to work. It's not going to be successful. I think people have figured that out, but I think it's going to be tougher in the fall that when a lot of people have the expectations, we're going back. So let's make school the way it was because that's what I'm comfortable with. That, that makes it easy. Uh, as I move on to the next, the latter half of these numbers, the trickiest one is number seven, a plan for coordination of schedules, assignments, and workload when students have different teachers for different subjects. Uh, that's always worked well in the past, I would say, that you don't schedule your tests on all the same day, right? Because, you know, teachers talk to each other all, time, all the time about when they're assigning things, right? Of course they do. Yeah. So it's, this one should be easy, right? It, it's, all, it's always well planned out because... I, I mean, I remember going through high school decades ago and thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I'm so glad that I never have multiple tests or big projects due on exactly the same day. Yeah. Really, really glad that that doesn't ever, ever happen. I sense the sarcasm in our voices, and I think our listeners do too. So let's just move on to the next one. Uh, uh, best. A plan for... Ongoing and regular formative assessment of student learning and engagement to inform and guide instruction and pacing. Yes, that sounds great. Um, number 10 goes on about a plan for grading and for certifying achievement. That we want to go, do we want to go down that rabbit hole? We're not going to, but it does talk about. I like this one specifically because there is a parenthesis here taking consideration uneven and inequitable conditions which students will be accessing their educational experiences, including blah, 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 blah. So it's like- It, it should be very simple, folks. Yeah. Grading in a remote learning is very simple. 
think of it like um, a single point rubric. Mm-hmm. You did it. Great. Here's where you go next. Here's what you did. Here's where you go next. Or you didn't do it. And here's why. And here's what you still have to do. And here's where you That's, go next. And here's where you go next. Yep. That's all grading should be during remote learning. Period. Uh, now, I think you, you could get have, into, you could have stopped period at this is the way we should be grading. Period. I know. I, I'm, I well, let's know. go there. We're not going down think, that rabbit hole, but yes, that's what I, we should I, be doing. And, and if you want to get into things like, well, how do you define them? Okay, here's an idea. If you have a one to three, one to four scale, great. A three is you've met the expectations, you're applying it, whatever your language is, you can just keep that. Anything before that, you just put not enough evidence yet. Yep. That's it. That's it. You can change a grade scale to, to be that simple. And then yep. what you do is you just give a lot of formative feedback. Yep. A lot of feedback, which is what we should be doing anyway. But it's, it's you know, not but. And it's crucially important to do it during remote learning because you're not getting that one-to-one contact. So you need to give as much formative feedback as possible. Grading can be that great and it should be that simple. I'm sure we'll be talking about grading a lot in the fall. Uh, one of the ones that I want to highlight, one of the last ones on this one is number 12, which says a communication plan to assist students and caregivers of younger students in understanding what to expect, how to engage in remote learning, and where to get questions answered. And I think that is a great one because I've seen some things about when, when we do have in-person school, whatever that particularly yep. looks like, teach them how to do remote learning. Yes. And not, not anything else. Teach them that you're not get, you're going to be here once every two weeks. So what do we do those other times in those two weeks? This is how we do remote learning. This and is this, how we do it. This is how we do it. And you don't have to do anything else. Right. I think no, that would just be go a, Montel Jordan on them. This is how we do it. <laughs> this is how we do it. No. Uh, that was better than the drop I was going to have to put in there. So I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> The, I, I like this one because uh, we didn't have that chance in the spring we to teach them how to do remote learning. We didn't. And some of the feedback that I heard from, from folks that I work with and also folks I've taught with or, or talked to across the state on a lot of this stuff is that they realized how little students knew how to do things like send an email, yep. how to communicate, you know, how to, you know, they, they just put their question in the subject line and then the email is completely blank. Oops. And I, and I, I, I like, I like saying this one to them. Emails like that all the time from adults. Yep. Because it's not a kid (laughs) thing. It's a people thing. thing. Get that right. So we have to teach how to do it. Absolutely. And I think that a communication plan to assist students and caregivers teach the parents how to do this stuff. Make parent academies, make parent accessible resources for them to say here's how to use this particular resource that here's how to use google classroom as a guardian you know here's how to set up your house for or you play your the device that we're going to give you through school chromebook ipad whatever here's how to set up your, a room to be able to do a zoom here's what they need i think that would be a, a great plan that i think uh should be one of the first things that we do is if since we're doing remote learning, 
let's figure out how we're doing remote learning. And then let's partner with the kids and the parents trying to figure out what that looks like. I think that comes back to also in part three, part A of part three, which is actually um, yeah part one or two, but also accessing free webinars, and live sessions on remote learning and blended learning models. But that professional development, part of the professional development plan shouldn't just be on the teachers. It should be aimed at for the learners and for their caregivers. Agreed. To say, how are we going to communicate this stuff? That's some of the PD that needs to happen and the planning and the work that needs to happen over the summer. And it can't just be on the shoulders of administrators. Let me, let me rephrase. It shouldn't be on the shoulders of just the administrators because Agreed. the administrators don't have the deeper connections, direct connections to the, to the, to the families. Yep. Absolutely. There needs to be that, that kind of cohesive bond. So as uh, we keep going here for not much longer though, we're going into part four additional considerations or is like, we like to call it other. It's part five. So adult education, uh, yep. just uh, basically figure out what to do with these adults who need to complete their high school equivalency, equivalency, excuse me, job training and college transition programs, um, integrate main governor strategies as well as other guidance for businesses into district guidance to enable job training programs to continue. I think that's, that's a great one right there. Yeah. So everything, so everything up above applies to adult education as well. Absolutely. And you just might need to tweak it a little bit for the adult needs and you might want to have a more specific focus on job training. The next one talks about CTE, and this is the one that concerns me a little bit, and maybe we need to get a CTE person on here, uh, but it basically talks about strictly in-person stuff, like sanitizing any hand tools that have to be shared, uh, address the public accessing the building, such as daycares, as well as cafes for culinary arts, sanitizing all areas in the middle of the day, uh, opportunities to utilize larger spaces. Well. What if, what if you can't have those? How does CTE going right. to, to work and continue there? And uh, I'd be interested in seeing what they are thinking right now. Yeah, because they have to have a certain number of hours. Students right. have a certain number of hours every year to get their certifications, to get their credentialed. And if you're remote, but if you're also trying to do CTE, which is a lot of hands-on stuff, or if you're in a, mm -hmm. um, a, a nursing program or an early education or early childcare program, or even just, you know, or whatever, whatever program at CTE, um, how are you going to transition it to the home? And that's a real challenge yep. um, to get those particular hours. Cause you know, you might, if you're doing machining, you, you might not have a metal lathe in your house. Wait, so how do you wait? You might not. I have several. I thought, yeah. Okay. I thought they came standard with houses. They, well, well, they, they, they do, but a lot of these homes, the one just selling those things on, on the black market. There's a gotcha. big black market for metal, metal lathes. Probably, yep. probably, should, probably shouldn't say this on a recorded podcast, but um, if you, if you I, know, I know a guy. If you, need, if you need to get rid of those metal lathes, give me, give me a call. I'll hook you up. <laughs> the next one talks about child nutri nutrition programs. and That's important. Uh, it's important, yes. Uh, I think they people have really gotten gotten to do a, a good job with this so far, uh, mainly because as states start to open up a little bit, you see a lot of these things in the restaurants and the dining places that, that people go to. 
uh, improve ventilation by running exhaust fans more than normal in the kitchen. Uh, I, I do that every time I cook anyway. I run the exhaust fan more than normal. I tend to burn things. <laughs> uh alternative dining solution hey, uh, locations down on the stove there buddy <laughs> what the flame should only be like three inches high right um how meals will be offered to students? <laughs> not in attendance removing self-servability like bars milk coolers and extras and i see that i was at a uh surprisingly a, a taco place over the weekend and a lot of the the self-serve stuff even the the fountain drinks are all closed uh, everything comes out from behind the counter now, which I think is going to be the way it is uh, from now so on what, for, for schools too. So I have not been out to a restaurant in a long time, but one of my favorite things to go to is like a, is a buffet. Mm -hmm. what, what, what happens to the buffet? It's interesting. What happens if, what happens if you go to, have to go to a restaurant or go to a hotel and you wake up in the morning and you go downstairs and they have an omelet bar. The guy's just sitting out there in the middle of the wherever, and they get, get, you get your omelet. How, how, how am I going to get my omelet, Matt? So I have seen a, one of the grocery stores here, one of the 14 grocery stores in Oceanside. <laughs> Not joking. There's 14 different ones. And they have a salad bar at one of these places. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Everything else is kind of like closed off. You have to yeah. wait in line to go to the salad bar. And then you don't get your salad bar. You have one of the employees make it for you. Oh. Which was not going to work in schools, obviously, because. No. And I have literally seen no one in line at any time, but there's a diligent employee <laughs> waiting there. But oh, I that thought, poor employee. Oh, I know. It's terrible. It's like, you know, there's signs and the rope lines and that sort of thing. And there's nobody in them. I'm like, oh, what a terrible job that you're sitting by all that food and doing nothing with it. So to our, to our intrepid listeners, our faithful 17 listeners out there, instead of going to a restaurant, go to your local grocery store. And if they have a salad bar and they have a person there, okay, get a salad. Yeah. Make this person's day. You don't have to have a big salad. It doesn't be big. Just get some romaine, get a couple of olives, if you please. Maybe some banana peppers, if you please. Some cherry tomatoes. Mm. Maybe All the some, good stuff. Some, maybe some sliced cucumber. Mm -hmm. A radish. Uh, you can keep your radish to yourself. Thank oh, you very much. Thank you. I will. I'll take yours, too. Then, then maybe some Parmesan peppercorn dressing, if you please. Or Perfect. Some honey mustard. Bit of both. Sounds good. And then, and so, then, of course, the, the Crowtons. It sounds like suddenly you have a large salad. <laughs> I thought you well, no, started this. So just like, just a little. <laughs> just one of each. I'll have one Crowton. <laughs> yeah. I'll have one bako bit. <laughs> and one drop of peppercorn Parmesan dressing. Okay. <laughs> Let's finish this thing. All right. Uh, we're talking about the school health office. Uh, the nurses are already amazing at what they do and absolutely when it comes to uh keeping the health of the school going uh they should be looking at these four bullets and being like yeah yeah we got this thanks yeah. so yes <laughs> it's yeah, an easy one. Yeah, just, just, just move on we got this already it's, it's, it's i like the first one 
because as my office was right across from the school nurse last year, uh, she was kind of doing this anyway. It says, have yeah. a plan to decrease traffic to the school health office in order to blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, these kids don't need to come to me every five seconds looking for ibuprofen or Tylenol or something. I send them right back. I'm like, that's how you decrease traffic to the school health office. <laughs> you, know, you know, another way to do it is to put it like through the principal's office. So you have to go through the principal's Ooh. office to get to the school health department, to the school health. I like that. I office. like that idea. I think, I think you know? that's, that's a million dollar idea right there. Put it on the roof with no accessible stairwell. Well, the roof, isn't that where uh, the pool and the basketball court are for the, for the adults? Because that's what I tell the middle schoolers. Don't, don't, don't give away. Don't give it all away. Well, if you're saying the health, the health office is going up there, we're going to have to move that pool to the basement. That's, that wouldn't be a problem. I, no, but I don't know where you're going to find a pool guy because all the pool guys are taken. They're all busy. Excellent. Uh, the last <laughs> part talks about transportation here. Um, cleaning and disinfecting the buses, wearing yeah. the masks, uh, the bus driver shields, uh, that sort of thing. But a lot of it is just trying to keep things as so, clean as possible. And, and no one's going to want to admit this, but so many of the district plans to come back in the fall are going to be based around transportation. Yeah. Because it costs a lot of money to do transportation. And Maine has this law that we have to be able to provide transportation to every kid Yep, and so you, if if we have to socially distance on the bus, we're going to have to be doing a lot. We have a lot fewer kids on the bus. You only have one kid per seat, and you have to stagger those seats. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to get all those kids to school? A lot more bus runs, or we do a lot fewer in-person school days. Yep, I think these are the logistical pieces when putting together these plans. They're going to kind of force us into some type of blended learning options regardless of whether we want to or not it's like right. that's all we can afford that's that's why I, why I want to keep saying to people like don't plan on full in person like it was last year yeah don't that that's that is such a far removed possibility for so many reasons you know um what what district is going to want to go against all of these guidelines you know, right. be the be the first one to go. No, no districts are going to put themselves out there and do that. So they're going to have to follow these guidelines and the CDC guidelines. And so, to do the full in person, you'd have to build new buildings and get new buses and have your your tax base just pay for all of that and build all the infrastructure within the next three months. And I just don't see that happening. Agreed. Anywhere. Anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. Which is that, why the default should not be in our heads to go to in-person. The default should be remote with a hope for a blended in-person remote learning. I think that's a good place to end it, uh, considering we're at the end of the document. And we've been going for approximately seven and a half hours. <laughs> well, if you want, we could go through the printable PDF version to see if it's any different. Uh, I'm going through the printable PDF version that says no, almost final. So every time this gets uh, readjusted, because it's never done, uh, yep. we're gonna spend five hours deciphering every, every single bullet that's changed. Well, I didn't wanna say this to you earlier, Matt, mm-hmm. but the whole snow day thing, mm-hmm. that's, that's not in the version that I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be a fun document. <laughs> 
the hell with the you legislative know? committee. We're just going to work off this document for the next 12 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the one on, that's just on, there, on the website. Love it. Love it. That was great. Uh, where can you find us to, uh, if anybody's listening now, if they want to follow no us listening. anywhere? Uh, 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 well, if you wanted to follow us online, or, um, go to at Main Ed Matters on Twitter and Main Education Matters on Facebook. Um, we're done with this one now, but Matt and I are going to be working on a plan to do one or several uh, episodes coming up on things like racial bias, inclusion, implicit bias and curriculum. Um, all this kind of stuff, all the, these major issues that are happening that, you know, we need to have really hard, difficult conversations on. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to, we're developing a plan to have some of those conversations. We're talking to folks to have some small panels of people. So if you are interested in being part of that broader, bigger conversation, let us know. Send us a DM or send us an email. Uh, you can access it through our website, uh, maineducationmatters.weebly.com. And um, if you want to be a part of that conversation, let us know. We're coming up with a plan to do some recordings on that, and uh, we'll get back to you. All right. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, Matt, and going through three parts of, excuse me, part three, part four, part five on this part two podcast of a two-part podcast about the framework for returning to classroom instruction, almost final parentheses one is what it says on my PDF. And with that, bye. (laughs)